Well, I did a little uh, internet research uh, this last week, and so I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Who is your favorite superhero? And a little follow-up, what is your favorite superhero movie? Now, I'll give you a minute to think about it. And some of you, I can already see, are going, ah, superheroes. And then some of you are going, yeah, superheroes. Well, what is it for you? Is it the Avengers? Is it uh, Batman Returns? I've got all kinds of titles here in my notes. The Dark Knight, Spider-Man 1, 2, or 3. I mean, the, li the list is endless. But what fascinates me is that the superhero craze, whether you like it, whether you love it, or you really don't care for it, it has captured the hearts of people in our country and culture. To prove my point, 1.8 billion, not million, 1.8 billion dollars have been spent this year alone by people going to see superhero movies. And if you look at the last five, pardon me, the last three years, this world that we live in has spent almost $5.6 billion, almost $5.7 billion, going to superhero movies. We need superheroes, don't we? Or we need a superhero. We desperately need someone who can fix it for us, who can deliver us out of our messes, and all of the stuff that we get into, we just we need somebody who's available, somebody who's accessible, and somebody who's big enough that can handle it for me. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we're so fascinated with superheroes. And so this morning, as we come to this passage, what I want you to see is that we have the greatest superhero that's ever lived. In fact, he's the only genuine, real superhero. And there are four words which John uses to describe the Word or the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage this morning. And I want you to notice the first word. This first description that John gives us is really an oxymoron, or at least the way I'm putting it, because I'm going to use the word indescribable. Look at verses 1 through 3 in this passage and notice how John introduces Jesus to us. It's interesting to me, as you look at this verse of Scripture, the, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, they introduce Jesus to us at the point of his conception or his birth, his earthly beginning, but that's not where John begins. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, the Word existed before the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and with God, and was, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him, now get this, look at verse 3, through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. I think the way Colossians 1 puts it, all things hold together in Him. You take Him out of the picture and we're nothing. We're not here today because He is the, the Creator, the agent of, the, of creation. 
And so here we have this description, and what John is really telling us is that the beginning was really not the beginning for Jesus. Yes, Jesus was born as a human being, but that was not the beginning of his existence. He'd been around for a long time. In fact, Jesus Christ, if you read it carefully and you understand what John is teaching us here, Jesus Christ has been here forever, eternally. We could spend all morning on these first three verses and we'd never get to the end of it or we'd never get to the, the, the bottom of it. It's just absolutely unbelievable what John is describing here. I mean, how can we begin to even grasp what, he, what he's talking about here? I can't fathom it with my finite mind. How can somebody who has always existed be born and come into existence? How do you put that? You, you can't put the, it's indescribable. And so he's trying to describe with finite words what we really can't describe here this morning as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's, it's the clear teaching of Scripture. So if you're into taking notes this morning, just write these references down. Write down John 17, 5. I just mentioned it. John, uh, pardon me, Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Hebrews 13, 8. Revelation 1, 8. Revelation 22, 13. Proverbs 8, 23. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. We don't just find it here. It's mentioned all over the place. This picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that John is giving us this morning. Now, there are four essential truths. If we could spend the rest of the morning on these three verses, there are four essential truths that... John gives us here in these first three verses. If you spend this time studying it, it's very clear that Jesus is eternal. We've just talked about that. He's a person. He's not just an it. He's not just some kind of supernatural force. He is God, and he's the creator. Those four things, eternal, he's a person, he's God, and he's the creator. Now, I'm going to fast forward, but before I do, I want you to notice just one other phrase here in these first three verses. Notice this phrase, and the word was God. It's very interesting in the Greek language, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but, but notice that the definite article is here with the word. It's not with God. And so the word is clearly the subject of this verse of Scripture. He's the focus, focal point. And what John is trying to tell us here is that Jesus Christ was and is God. In fact, if he were just trying to tell us that, that he was another divine being, God-like, he would have used a different adjective in the Greek language, but he uses the word theos. He was God. Fully God. God of very God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus, the Word, is more than a carpenter, as Josh McDowell put it. He is the God-man come in the flesh. Remember a little story of some kids that were uh, doing a little Christmas play. They were, their assignment uh, 
was to uh, read and present the Christmas story, and so they went about their business, and they were, they were doing it right, and they, they rehearsed this thing, and they came out on stage, and there was Joseph and Mary, and uh, you know, you've got all the animals and the angels, and everybody's there, and, but then they went off script because there was this partition, and behind the partition, you could tell that Mary was in labor. She was groaning. And after the baby is born, this little guy comes out from behind the partition and he's got on a little white doctor's coat, you know, and his stethoscope, and he walks over to one of the other kids and he pats him on the shoulder and says, congratulations, Joseph, it's God. <laughs> well, he went off script. But in getting it wrong, he got it so right. It's God. That baby born in that manger is God. Jesus Christ, fully God. Now notice the next descriptor here. Not only is Jesus Christ indescribable, we can't put this into words. Jesus Christ is also invincible. He's invincible. You cannot conquer him. Notice verses 4 and 5 in this passage. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And now I'm going to go off from the NIV. If you've got the NIV inversion in front of you, which we're using as we take this journey through the Bible, it says that the darkness has not understood or comprehended Christ, the Word. But it's interesting, if you look at all the different English translations, 50% of them translate this, has not understood or comprehended Him. The other 50% say, the darkness has not overcome it, the light, clearly referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really prefer that translation. And I think a case can be made of it if you look at the, the rest of jo, uh, the Gospel of John. Now notice that in him was life. Life in a qualitative sense. In other words, John isn't just describing existence here. And this is very important. Remember years ago, an older man that committed suicide, reading the story... And right before he, he ended his life, he left a little note, and the note said, so tired of buttoning and unbuttoning. And he ended his life. There are a lot of people that are just existing. They're just buttoning and unbuttoning. That's not the kind of life that, that John is describing here. John is describing life as God meant to live it. Life in a qualitative sense, not just existence. In Him was life. Life can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this word is a word which is used 36 times here in the Gospel of John, and 11 times it's associated with the descriptor eternal life. And so I want to ask you now this morning, is there somebody here sitting here today, and if you're honest with yourself, and you got to be honest with God, right? Because you can't fool Him if you believe that He really does exist. 
And if you believe that Jesus Christ is who John is teaching us this morning, then I would ask you, are you just existing? And if you're honest with yourself, that's where you're at. Then the invitation is here for you today to come to Jesus, to come to Christ, because in Him you can find life. Life as it's really meant to be lived. And if you're looking for life this morning, it can be found in one person and one person only, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice that the life was the light of men. And we find this this motif or this theme throughout the Gospel of John. uh, Lots of descriptions of Jesus, but notice that the life is described as light here. And I think this is very significant. This is very important because... If there's anything that people need in the 21st century, it's life and light. Are you like me? Do you ever surf the internet? Or do you ever watch the evening news and you just get discouraged? You ever just get discouraged with this world that we're living in? Because we're just bombarded with all of this darkness All of this evil, all of the injustice, all of the wrongdoing, all of the... I I just quit watching the evening news. It's just depressing. And if there's anything that we need, it's, it's light. In the midst of all of the darkness around us. Remember when I was a little boy traveling from Colorado Springs to the Panhandle of Texas with my parents, and I was probably just six or seven years of age, and we were in this station wagon, and we are going to, to visit my parents, or my grandparents at Christmas, and all of the kids were in the back seat, and, and before I knew it, here we were in the midst of this blizzard. And I could hear my parents talking up in the front seat of the car, and I was just a little guy, but I knew that they were afraid. I could tell by the intonation of their voices. And if you've ever been in the panhandle of Texas, you know that those blizzards can come through there. It's a little bit like being in the eastern part of Colorado. And you can have winter. You can have winter in that section of Colorado if you've ever driven along I-80. And we were caught in this blizzard, and I could tell that they were afraid that we were trapped. And then all of a sudden, there was this 18-wheeler that in the midst of the blizzard, just in front of us, And we were able to follow the taillights of the 18-wheeler to a motel that night. And we were safe. And we made it to our destination the next morning. Jesus Christ is like the taillights on that 18-wheeler. We live in a world just filled with darkness and blizzard and stuff. But He is the light of the world. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, we're told that you will follow him. You will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. That's our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And I hope that you see him for who he is. Now, just one other thought here before we move on. We have a choice as we go through life. I have a choice. You have a choice. We can go through life choosing to focus on the darkness 
or we can go through life choosing to light a candle. In my notes this morning, I've got a quote from a man by the name of James Kelly who said, I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. And as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our responsibility as we follow the light is to pass the torch, to carry the torch, to carry the light, and to communicate with everyone around us. And so I want to encourage you this morning to focus on the light and sharing the light and the hope that we have in Christ rather than on all of the stuff in this world around us. Now notice the third description that we have here in this passage of Scripture. He's not only indescribable. He's not only the illuminator, the life and light of life. But notice verses 9 through 13. Pardon me, not only uh, indescribable and not only uh, 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 invincible. I got ahead of myself. He's the great illuminator. Now, look at verses 9 through 13. It's coming up on the screen. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world didn't know him. They didn't recognize him, in the words of the NIV. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, and now we've got the rest of it, he gave the right to become the children of God. Notice that he's the true light. And after this little parenthesis now, if you look at verses 6 through 8, that's just a little parenthesis, a little digression on the part of John there as he describes John the Baptist who's going to be the forerunner, the witness of this light, this true light. After that little parenthesis, he, he talks about Jesus Christ, the true light, our great illuminator. And there are three significant phrases here in verses 9 through 13 I want you to notice. We're going to get into some detail now this morning. Notice the word recognize. They did not recognize him. Notice the phrase, they did not receive him. And then notice that phrase, he gave the right. Recognize, receive, and he gave the right to those who did recognize him. There, th these three phrases describe three very significant steps that are very important for every one of us to take if you're going to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. First of all, you have to recognize him. You have to recognize him for who he is. And by the grace of God, we're trying to explain clearly now this morning, or I am, what God teaches through John to us about who Jesus Christ is. You, you have to recognize that. And you have to accept it. Maybe there may be somebody here today that hasn't really come to that place yet. But then it's not enough to just recognize him for who he is. Notice that you have to receive him. And there were many that didn't receive him. Now can you imagine that? The greatest superhero who ever lived. God in the flesh. God become hum became human. And people didn't receive him. Go figure. You'd think, man, if I was there and I saw what he was doing and I, 
Man, I'd believe, I'd receive. But there were many that didn't receive him. And there are many today that haven't received him. The greatest superhero, the savior of the world, the light of the world, the great illuminator. They've never come to that place. But, the, but to those who did, he's given the right, and this is an interesting word, the privilege, the ability to become children of God. Notice this last verse again, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, not physically. This isn't a physical thing that we're talking about now. Nor the will of the flesh. This isn't something you can achieve. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can will. You can't live up to enough religious rules to earn your way into a relationship with God or into heaven. It's not by the, the strength of your will or by what you do, but of God. He gives you, he, he gives it to you. The right, the privilege to become a child of God. And so I would ask you right now before we move on, this is the big question. Have you received him? Now I'm not asking have you recognized him? That's intellectual. A lot of people that pay intellectual assent to what we're talking about today, they'll, they'll for the sake of argument, they'll, they'll grant you that. The question on the floor right now is, have you received him? Have you come to a place in your life where you've actually brought him into your life? And notice that word receive and believe. They're used interchangeably here. To receive means to, to believe. And belief isn't just intellectual. It's, it's taking him into your life. Embracing him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus clearly believed he was God. You know, C.S. Lewis had it right. Jesus said he was God. He said he was the great I Am. Read John chapter 8. And so... Either Jesus was crazy, he was a lunatic, and we've met, you know, we've all met people that are a little off. Either he was a lunatic, he was delusional, or he was a, a liar. He just wasn't telling the truth. But who would go to a cross for a lie? And, and all of these people that saw him, they were willing to die for it too. Or he is who he said he was. He is Lord of lords, King of kings, God of very God. He is who this passage is teaching us about this morning. And so have you received him? Have you embraced this? And now we come to the last description here. If you're not convinced... Look at verses 14 through 18. If you're here and you're not convinced, John's going to go on now at the end of this passage. And the fourth and last word here, if you're into filling in the blanks, is incarnation. He is the incarnation. God becomes human. That's what incarnation means. And so notice verses 14 through 18. This is the proof that Jesus Christ is who John is telling us he is. 
And as we look at verse 14, if you've got your scripture on your phone or if you've got your Bible open, look back up the page now at verse 1 and notice how he begins. He begins with, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. You can read it. And now, here in verse 14, he says, and the Word, the Logos. That was a Greek philosophical stoic kind of word. It was also a Hebrew word. But the people of that day knew what they were talking. He took that word in order to, <clears throat> to present Christ to us here. Be a little bit like the superhero analogy that we're using this morning. People could identify with it. They could understand it. The word became flesh, became human. And he made his dwelling among us. And we've, we've seen his glory. This is the living proof of what John is now describing. God's one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now there are three just quick thoughts here I want to mention. Notice the word became flesh. In other words, <clears throat> Jesus Christ always existed. He took on flesh. He became flesh. But he's existed since eternity. He wasn't created. And then notice he dwelt among us. This is an interesting Greek word. You know what it means? It means to pitch a tent. I'm not much of a camper. The only time I remember really camping was back in Bowville, Idaho, after I just graduated from Wheaton College. I was out there with these green army tarps and Man, did we get wet that night. It was a mess. <laughs> but you know somebody that is a camper in this church? Pastor Adrian Boykin. If you want to know how to camp, go hang out with that guy. Now, I'm a motel person, okay? But I haven't really went, but I hear that he's got a quite, quite a, a camping re reputation. He knows how to pitch a tent. Well, that, this is this Greek word. It means to pitch a tent. It's, it's really the word in the Old Testament for the Old Testament tabernacle. And you remember in the Old Testament, God's glory would come down into the tabernacle temporarily and Moses would go and he would meet with God face to face in that tent that was even outside the camp. That's this word. Except now, instead of God's glory filling the Old Testament tabernacle, that early part of God's story, God's glory has come in human form. In and through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and John says we beheld his glory. And that's the last little thought I want you to see here as we wrap this up. Notice he says we, 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 we beheld his glory. In other words, they didn't just glance at it. They gazed on it. He says we've seen it. If you read 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, I mean... You're, you're talking about John who was banished to the Isle of Patmos at the age of 90 or whatever. Who would be willing to do that for a lie and all these other guys who died for this? In other words, they had a 50-yard line seat in the stadium. They weren't up in the third deck having to use their binoculars to see what was going on. They had a 50-yard line seat down close to the playing field 
And they watched him. And they touched him. And they knew he was real. And they were convinced of what John is writing here today. He was who he said he was. And so, he says, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And that's the last little thought here. Grace and truth. That's what God's glory looks like. And I actually got this from a New Testament Bible scholar by the name of Raymond Brown and my New Testament prophet Wheaton, but I still remember him preaching about this and weeping. Because these words, grace and truth, are really, according to many Bible scholars, a description of God's loving kindness, His enduring love, His steadfast love, which is a description of God's character throughout the Old Testament, and His faithfulness to us. Psalm chapter, or Psalm 36, verse 15 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. I was driving over here from Hastings this morning. Another one of those beautiful mornings. And you just look into the heavens or you look out into the fields. And God's incredible, enduring love and His faithfulness. It reaches to the skies. This is God's grace and truth. And that's what Jesus Christ embodied. He, he showed us God's Character, what God is really like. This God who came and pitched a tent and lived among us so we could touch Him. And He tasted what we can taste. And He felt what we feel. And He suffered what we suffer. And He endured all the stuff we have to endure. And he died just like we're going to die. So we won't have to die. And we beheld his glory full of grace. God's steadfast love, his mercy endures forever. And his faithfulness. When Queen Elizabeth came here to the United States uh, several years ago, Queen Elizabeth II, we've all followed the story of Harry and Meghan, and you like to follow the royal family like my wife does. I'm always hearing about it. But she came to the United States, Queen Elizabeth II, several many years ago, and when she came, she brought this huge entourage and all of this stuff with her. 4,000 pounds of luggage, 4,000 pounds, two outfits for every occasion, including a funeral dress. Philip Yancey tells this story in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Leather, kit leather toilet seat covers, all kinds of stuff, stuff that you brought a, brought a servant and all of this stuff. He says that when royalty comes to visit, did you know that it can cost you, cost a country up to $20 million for just one visit? 
Now that's royalty. But the King of Kings, the creator of this universe, the God who made it all, came to this planet. And he came in a very different way. He was born a barn, laid in a feeding trough, and he died on a cross. And we beheld his glory. His glory. His glory. The glory of God. His steadfast love, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus so we could know what you're really like. The light that shines in the darkness. The one that we can reach for and depend on. The one who saves us. And now, Lord, as we transition now to communion this morning, the Lord's table. And prepare our hearts for this. Help us to remember and to reflect on who you are. And may this be a day, Lord, for me when I come closer to you and for all of us. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, we pray, Lord, that this might be the day that they embrace you for who you really are. In Jesus' name we pray.